0: Well, how is everybody doing this morning? Doing good. It's Thanksgiving weekend. Who's already had a piece of turkey or something like that already? That's awesome. Proud to report I'm two Thanksgiving dinners in. Got one more with our Connect group happening on Wednesday night. And depending on how the young adults rock up with food, it'll either be a good Thanksgiving or be a poor one. Um, bought an extra, extra big turkey this year. So if you're if you're a young adult, or if this is the week to get connected into a, a connect group, if you're wondering, because there's usually food, maybe during Thanksgiving. But yeah, if we haven't met, my name is, my name is Andy. My wife's Camilla. She's out dropping our kids off at the moment. And yeah, it's just been a, a pleasure um, to share with you guys over the, over the last month. And um, we are week number two into a new series at the church, and we're looking at the book of Philippians. Who read Philippians this week? Okay, a few hands up. Paul's got his hand up. Good, good boy, Paul. Um, but seriously, Philippians, my goodness, it has been an amazing, an amazing encouragement to me as we step into this new season, as we see that all that Christ is and all that he wants to do uh, through his church, and we encourage you, it's not a long book. You can can read it in under half an hour, and you can soak in it week by week as we go through it here. We're we're sort of targeting eight weeks uh, to look at the book of Philippians before we get to December, and then we look at, you know, why did Jesus come, and why did Jesus come at Christmas, and and all these other things, Uh, but I Encourage you guys, we are in this series. As a group of believers, so if you call this church home, the leadership team is praying for you guys, saying God wants to speak to His church through the Book of Philippians, and we pray that it's not going to just come through the pulpit, but it's going to come by you opening your Bibles, looking at the verses that are in there as well, studying maybe it through with your Connect groups as you as you look at the um, uh, Connect group outline and, and things like that, and we hope that the church is just thoroughly, thoroughly blessed by seeing the vision that the, uh, that was being installed to this church. In Philippi we looked last week at a bit of an introduction uh, to the church, and it's, it's you know, beginning in chapter 1 where the Apostle Paul, he's he's in prison, but he's writing back to a church that he planted with a few other guys about 10 years previous. He's in jail at this time while he writes the letter, and he's got a good amount of time to write some letters to different churches, but he opens chapter 1, and if you want to open to the book of Philippians, he, he opens sort of defending, confirming, saying we want to advance the gospel, this is what we want to do be about. But as we turn to the second half, beginning in verse 18, or the second half of verse 18 in chapter 1, we realize that although Paul is gung-ho on wanting to advance the gospel and wanting to defend the gospel and wanting to confirm the gospel back to the church that he planted in Acts 16, that was planted in power, miraculous victories against all opposition, we realize that that Paul currently isn't experiencing a lot of victory in his life. Who would say, well, maybe I won't put your hand up because it's a bit of a sad thing to admit at Thanksgiving, but there's many people here who would say they're not in a victorious moment of their lives. And I would say that God wants to speak especially to you here this morning to say that, how does Paul look at how his life is defined in the second half? And I just love um, verses 18 to 24 uh, because you see an apostle grappling with what it means to live and also what it means to die. Paul's very aware of the possibility that might be coming for him, that maybe this is the end, or maybe he'll be able to continue. Verse 21 as well is gonna, it's just one of those amazing verses in the Bible, and you'll see it as we read here. And as we open up this, this chapter for us again this morning, I want you to ask yourselves as you listen to these words, it's like, what is the essence of life? Maybe the question is, what is the purpose of our lives? Or what gives our lives meaning and hope? Why do we wake up in the morning? What do we set our target on? Where are we going into the future? And why does it feel good to be alive? Or maybe it doesn't feel good at the moment. The world will define it as the purpose of life maybe is is to add wealth to your life and be more secure. Or... You know, I'd probably train, trade a bit of wealth to be a bit more good-looking, especially as a young man. I thought, you know, if I had the choice between $10 million or to have a permanent six-pack for the rest of my life, I might choose the six-pack. That's before I met Camilla and then, you don't know, anyway. It'd be nice to still have the six-pack for my, my beautiful wife and other things. And... Is the meaning of life to be good-looking, incredibly good-looking? Is it to be powerful? Is it to be successful in the world's definition of successful, or is it to be free and unaccountable, not having to give report back to anyone, being your own boss, things like that? And when times are good, we sort of get distracted by some of these sort of purposes of life. And when times are difficult, depending on what you anchor your life to, sometimes your answer to those questions changes, depending if you're going through a time of wealth or difficulty. So Philippians chapter 1, and we'll start in the second half of verse 18. And again, the Apostle Paul is going to get into where he's going here. It says, yes, I will rejoice. For I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, that this will turn out for my deliverance as it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed, but that will full courage now as always, uh, as always Christ will be magnified or honored in my body, whether by life or by death. Verse 21, this is the good one. For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I am to live in the flesh that means fruitful labor for me yet which I shall choose I cannot tell I'm hard pressed between the two my desire is to depart and be with Christ for that is far better but to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account Lord God we just thank you for these scriptures and we Lord that we just pray that you would speak us speak to us through Paul's journey here through his words on the paper today, as they are your very words speaking to us. Again, if you remember last week, Paul is in a dire situation. Yet in verse 18, he says something peculiar to us for someone being in prison. He says, yes, I will rejoice. Why is Paul rejoicing in prison? Wes ended the service last week by edifying us, saying that, thank goodness they didn't stop worshiping. Because when they were worshiping the first time, he broke out of jail. God broke the disciples out of jail. But this time, Paul is rejoicing, and he's going to remain in jail for a few more years. Yet he says, yes, I will rejoice. For I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit, this will turn out for my deliverance. Paul knew that above all else, it didn't matter how many times he was shipwrecked, how many times he was in prison, he knew that God would deliver him. How many of you know that God will deliver you from any set of circumstances? Okay. Again, it's something we kind of know. We know in the theoretical sometimes that God will never give up on us. He'll never fail us. He'll always pull us through. But in the midst of dark and hurting circumstances, that is not always the case. I remember being in a very dire and difficult situation. It was where me and Camilla met. We met in Mozambique, and I had eaten some bad food. And I tell you guys, I was sitting on the toilet praying for Jesus to take me home. It was probably not worse than a set of regular pain that women experience, But to me, it was the very death pains of life. And I remember, Lord Jesus, if you want to take me, now it's a good time. I've had a good run. I'm 20 years old. I've had, I've had, I've had a great life. There wasn't any wordplay like that. My goodness. But sometimes we have faith that we're going to be delivered from our current set of circumstances. And sometimes it's harder to see. And if you've experienced prior healing in your life today, maybe God has healed you miraculously from something that's happened. We know there's testimony upon testimony in this room today. When it comes around next time that you need healing again, or there's a difficulty in your life around pain and suffering, because of that previous testimony in your life, when God awakens to you what he's done before, you suddenly have faith that he will deliver to you again. Does any of you recognize that? We've had people in this church who've gone through bouts and bouts of cancer. And even though it turns out this way and that way, they have faith that no matter what, no matter what the outcome, Jesus will deliver them because they've experienced the deliverance before. It's important for us, church, to remember the things that God has done in our lives as we think about thanksgiving, that we remember that first we are thankful for how he has delivered us already because it will lead us into a future of knowing that he will deliver us again. How many miracles of provision of finances, of community, of fulfilled prophetic words are in this room alone, let alone the whole church of Nanaimo. We know that if you've experienced it one time that it's experienced, it's easier to expect it the next. And that is where Paul finds his joy this morning as we read and as he dwells in chains, knowing that I know, I rejoice because I know that when I pray to Jesus, it has to work out for deliverance. Now, in our lives, maybe deliverance looks a set of certain ways. If you're struggling financially, deliverance looks like finances, if you're struggling in your marriage, deliverance looks like healed relationships. If you're struggling in your body, healing looks like that, that thing that's causing you pain going away completely. And we want to pray for you if any of that stuff is happening in your life. But for Paul, he simmers it down to a life and death experience for him. I joke about the 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 time on the toilet that I had and very memorable time pleading to God to take me home, but there have been other times in my life where I've actually been in danger of peril, where it has you come to God and you say. Hey, God, you either got to save me right now or you got to take me home right now. Whichever way you take me, it's okay with me because you're large and in charge. I have no ability to help myself. For me, it was when I was uh, drowning and and sort of out in the ocean for for a couple of hours. God, will you save me or will you take me? Like Paul, it's a life or death. To live is Christ. To die is gain. Who has been in a situation like that where you've asked the Lord, "This, this is it? me and you, Charles, I got you. To die is gain. There aren't many things that you can say in society that will get you locked up for your own safety or for the safety of others. But this piece of Paul saying to die is gain is the one of the most backwards thing. I think if you're a non-Christian here today, or if you don't know what it means to have faith in God, that just doesn't sound right at all. When we're in, in class at school, you know, evolution teaches you that it's li- life is the pinnacle. Life is the thing. Life must result in more life. And if, if things aren't designed and pushed to go into that process, then it's pointless. Then evolution has failed the way, the way that life always finds a way has failed. In fact, the only good in our society, that pl- the only hope that it places on death itself, is that it is that means the end of suffering for some circumstances. Nobody outside of these walls, nobody outside of Paul's words here saying to die is gain. This doesn't make sense at all. Only in the, in the respects that death sometimes brings the end to an already hard situation. Death is never a solution for our society. It goes against everything. But in verse 23 Again, as we see the Apostle Paul struggling to know exactly which way he will be delivered out of his set of circumstances, he says this in verse 23, It's my desire to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. For that is far better than life. For that is far better than these current circumstances. And we can kind of agree with Paul. He's like, yeah, if you were trapped in prison and didn't know what was going to come at the end of it, you, you might pray that prayer. You might pray that prayer if things are really hard, really struggling, uh, like me out in the oceans, like I can't do this anymore. Jesus, you either take me now or, or you, you cause me to live and you help me live. But he says to be with Christ is far better. And to before we get into all the application of this scripture, it just challenged me this morning, and as I was reading uh, to say, how many of us actually believe it would be better to be with Christ Jesus? We are not the ones to choose when Christ is coming back. We don't have a say, well, maybe we go and go to the ends of the earth. That's about as what we can do. we can we can go and share the gospel. That's our help in 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 perhaps playing a part in when Jesus might return. But for us, we don't get a choice. But if that choice was to be put in your hands to say, okay, you choose, when is Jesus coming back uh, for his bride, the church, all of us? What would you choose? Would you choose that very moment? Or would you give yourself a couple days to make sure your kids knew the gospel again I mean they mean they make sure they had another reminder or a few more days to talk to all of our colleagues and friends and your next-door neighbors so you can go you can go be with Jesus with a clear conscience saying that you've done everything possible in your regard or or maybe you've got that vacation coming up and he's like man I really saved hard to go to Mexico this year and all the flights have just opened this is the one for me maybe it's to go and spend time on vacation and Francis Chan, just as I was researching the scripture and just listening to people, what I had to say on this is some of us are actually sad to leave the earth and be with Jesus. He says that some of us are so consumed with this life that we forget that the point of it all is to be with Christ. Francis Chan says this, there are many of us who have built such a home for ourselves here that we are not even longing to see the face of Jesus. A lot of times as we're waiting for him, which we are waiting for him, we fall in love with so many other things that suddenly we can put off or we can think that it would be good to put off the coming of Christ. Many of us don't want to die today. Indeed, I don't want to die today because we've built such a good home for ourselves here on earth. And we've fallen in love with other things as much as we were in love with Jesus. Or even more, so it would actually be sad to leave the earth and go be with Jesus. I think, again, one of those theoretical things that we know is like, we know it's going to be better to be with Jesus. But church is our answer immediate and yes to that thing. To say that if, if this building shook and if this building collapsed, and we were to all go be with Jesus right now if we're saved and in, and in his love, would that be better? Church, we need to know, like the apostle Paul knew, that our whole purpose for our lives is to be with Jesus Christ, and that's point one for us today. Our whole purpose in life is not wealth, security, happiness in what the world says is successful, but it is to be with Christ. In Revelation 21, it talks about the new heaven and the new earth. And it says, When I saw a new heaven and new earth, for the first heaven and first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more, and the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband, and I heard a loud voice saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. Church, that moment in the new Jerusalem, in the new heaven, in the new earth, when we get to dwell with God, like we are dwelling with each other right now, that is not going to compare to anything that we have claiming to be the thing that's going to deliver us today from our situations. To die is gain. For the former things have passed away in that instance. And Jesus, and at the end there, God is saying, behold, I am making all things new. And God is going to dwell with us in a city and the city will have no need for sun or moon to shine on it because the glory of God gives it light. Church, I'm humble to say that that is the very purpose of everything we do. When Ed passed away now uh, 13 days ago, and uh, there's going to be a service in the, in the coming weeks, but when Ed passed away, to die is gain. for It's our loss for him, but to die is gain because of what is coming. Billy Graham had that famous quote that came out when he died, I think in 2018, but he said this, he says, someday you will read or hear that Billy Graham is dead, who was a, a famous, famous televangelist preacher some years ago, and he said, don't believe a word of it. For I shall be more alive than I am now. I will just have changed my address. I will have gone into the presence of God. Church, we need to know and we need to recognize and not read Paul's words here as alien to us. That my desire is to depart and be with Christ. For that is far better. Now, before we leave it there, leave it there. Paul says something else about life. And happily, we are not, you know, I won't, I won't say anything funny because I get, get in trouble now. Um, we're not all going to go jump off a cliff now. Let's just say that. But he teams it up with this. If the first point today is the whole purpose of our lives is to be with Christ ultimately when we go see him in the next. The second point is what does it mean to live as Christ? Point number two for us today is Jesus is the very essence of life itself. Again, as Paul comprehends two different options for him today, you can either keep me alive, Lord God, or you can bring the rulers and they can decide uh, to go against my cause and they can can martyr me. And several years later, he was martyred after he got out of prison, done a, a few more things. He was martyred for his faith. But Paul knew this, that whether alive or dead, Jesus was the very essence of what it meant to be alive, alive or life itself. John, who wrote one of the Gospels, an account of Jesus' life on earth, really loved picking up when Jesus said those themes. Four scriptures for us this morning here as we just think about what it means that Jesus is the very essence of life. Jesus in John fourteen six, talking about himself, he said, I am the way. I am the truth and the life and no one except and no one comes to the father except through me. Church, what does it mean that Jesus is the life? Aren't we all alive right now? Aren't we all living whether we know Jesus or not? But Jesus himself calls himself the life. No, Jesus is the life. In John 11:25, It says, Jesus said to her, speaking to a woman, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet he will live. What Jesus is getting at here is that, yes, you have current life right now through the common grace of God. And perhaps the last verse, when Jesus was talking about, I am the life, he was talking about that life of creation, that, that all common grace of creation that, that we have to be alive today when, when breath enters our lungs. That's a part of the common grace of God. But Jesus is saying there is another part of this life. There is the resurrection and the life meaning that the world here today isn't all the life that it's aimed up to be. Again, Francis Chan talking about eternity compared at one point, I remember from growing up and it stuck with me, but he talks about if, if, your, if your whole existence was from that wall to that wall over there, or maybe let's pick a bigger wall, from that wall over there to that wall at the back, your life today here on the earth is just about as thick as the paint on that wall. And everything to come is the rest of the distance as it goes and it goes and it goes. When Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life, he was talking about eternal life. Jesus is the very definition of what it means to have eternal life. John 6.35, Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. And whoever comes to me shall not hunger. And whoever believes in me shall never thirst. God is the life. He's the resurrection and the life, and Jesus is the bread of life as well. He sustains us. He feeds us, and it will never end. We will never hunger. We will never thirst if we remain in him. And Jesus, again, in John 10.10, again, the last one here from John. The thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy, but I have come that they may have life and have it abundantly. Or have it in full, depending on the translation that you're reading. He's, Jesus is not only the next life. He's not only the satisfied life. But he's the full and abundant life as well, church. Are we living like this as a people? Are we the happiest people in Nanaimo? I'm not. <laughs> Maybe you are. I show my happiness in different ways. I married a very outwardly happy woman. I'm more internally happy woman. Uh, woman, I'm not a woman. <laughs> Again. Man, I think I'm a man. But Jesus came to give us life and have it abundantly. And again, what that abundant life is, we don't fully know until we see that new heaven and new earth and we dwell with, with God and Jesus and the Holy Spirit in unity in the same city as he fills every place. We think that we've experienced the fullness of Christ here on the earth. We think we, we know what it means to be in relationship. And yes, church, Jesus is living and active in your life, but it will not compare. It's just a taste of what is coming, amen? And Galatians 2.20, again, talking about what it means that Jesus is the life. Galatians, it takes it even further and it says, I have been crucified with Christ, and it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. Indeed, for the believer who signs up to faith in Jesus Christ and dies to their past selves, it's no longer you who lives, but it's Christ now in you. The reality of Christ is greater than the reality of your exist, your remaining flesh, church. You are more real and alive in the eternal sense today than you are in the physical sense today. What is in you, what God has saved within you is more real, will never die, even though your flesh may die. Jesus is the life if we belong to him. But still, Paul talks more. Okay, to live is Christ because Jesus is the very essence of what it means to be alive. To die is gain. If I were to die today, I'd be perfectly far because it way beats jail. It way beats being with you. It way beats traveling and doing all this other stuff. To be with Christ is what I was made for. But in the rest of the verses from 20 to 26, Paul talks about and wrestles with, okay, if I remain here, this is what I'm going to live as Christ. This is what I'm going to make it all about. And this is what I want you, church, to be awake to here this morning as we study this together. So let's read again. Open your Bibles to Philippians 1, verse 20. And it says, "It is As it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed, but that will full courage. Now, as always, Christ will be honored. In the ESV, it says honored. Another translation for that is magnified. I'm going to say, as Christ will be magnified in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, is live is Christ and to die is gain. If I am to live in the flesh, it means fruitful labor for me. Yet which I choose, I cannot tell. I am hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. And convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith." so that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. Church, I want to say this about our lives here today. To live as Christ, because Jesus is what it means to be alive for us today, to be truly alive. To die is gain. So if we hear that you die tomorrow and your trust was in Jesus Christ, that's your gain. It's our loss. We know that, but why, how will we live as Christ? And my point number three, and as we not as we land, but as we as we look at the application for today, point number three is to magnify Christ. Is to magnify life itself. That is to say, if you want to live life to the max, if you want to be the happiest, most content person, if you want to be the the watch. No, I'm sorry. Um, If you want to be the happiest person in Nanaimo, then it truly means if we magnify Christ, we are to magnify life itself. I love that translation where it says, As always, Christ will be magnified in my body, whether by life or by death. Paul was saying at that moment is that if Rome came and killed me because of the testimony that I've been professing in Jesus Christ, then the gospel of Jesus Christ will yet be magnified again through my martyrdom and testimony about him. And if they leave me alive to live, then Christ will be magnified even more because I will keep on sharing, I will keep on telling, I will keep on planting churches um, that, that wherever, I, wherever I go church we want Christ to be magnified in our lives because to magnify Christ is to live beyond all, beyond what the world says Pauls magnifying of Christ wasn't for his benefit but it was the benefit to everybody around him you know we're in a season of rebuilding as as a church I feel like that, that's the key thing of what, what God is saying in these last four weeks is we met as elders and deacons uh, last week and we prayed together, worshiped together, had feedback together, asked, asked the deacons and the rest of the elders, you know, where, where, are, where does our congregation really need help? You know, as, as good deacons do, they, they know where the congregation has specific needs. But church, we are in a season of rebuilding the church. And a cool thing that's happened recently is our, our kids' ministry has grown beyond where it was pre-COVID. Our, our church here this morning, I think on, on a rough head count, we are beyond where we were in the immediate season prior to COVID, and we were doing well prior to COVID as well. And God would say, God is building this church, but where we are lacking behind is by stepping up together. We need leadership to come through in this time. We need people to sign up and to take. And we have people saying yes already to say, I'm going to lead a team of four. I'm going to lead a team of eight as we come serve in, in different areas of the church. We are building as a church again. And as we, as we look at what it means to magnify Christ, as we look at what it means to magnify life, Paul is going to tell us how we can magnify Christ to each other. And it's the vision for our church here that we want to magnify Christ and we want to cause each other to have glory in Christ. The first thing, the first point of point three is magnifying Christ is fruitful labor. What does Jesus say in Matthew seven sixteen? He says, you will recognize them, talking about his coming church, you will recognize them by their fruit. The Bible likes this thing of fruit. Verse 22, Paul says, if I am alive in the flesh, it means fruitful labor for me. If I'm to stay here, it means there's fruitful things for me to do. And Jesus says, you will recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from the thorn bushes or or figs from the thistles? No, fruit is important for the kingdom of heaven. Church, if you are here and you are making Oceanside Church your home, then I want to tell you, just like Paul, there is a fruitful labor for us to do. I think it would be easy easy for me to come up here and say, there's a lot of labor for us to do. There's a lot of things that we need. There's a lot of positions that we need to fill. I I contemplated showing you a huge spreadsheet of all the positions that we still need to fill for our kids' ministries and other serving teams and things like that. And then I thought, no, it's too depressing. No, (laughs) it's not depressing. Sorry. (laughs) Sorry. But church, there's a lot of labor to do. But the encouragement for us as a church is that it is a fruitful labor. John again says this. Well, not John. Jesus in John says this in John 15. He says, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask for whatever you wish and it will be done for you. By this, my father is glorified that you will bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. Church, we need to be a church of real, tangible, spiritual fruit. And it's important for our leadership teams and the teams of people and all those other people. Again, I said there was about 75 different leaders of different groups and serving teams and all these other things throughout the church. So it's not just us. But if we are going to be leaders in the church, we have to look for the spiritual fruits, not for the task that needs to be done. And it's a fruit that can only be grown by God. It can only be grown when we are abiding in the life of Jesus, when we are magnifying Christ, when we are looking to bring his fruit around each one of us. To magnify Christ is fruitful labor for us. We can't do it by our own efforts. And we want to be a church that is known by our fruit. Amen? What's the most, what fruit are you salivating for right now? Mango. Camilla says mango. Anybody want to raise on mango? Mango sounds pretty good. <laughs> but sometimes when you're lacking that fruit in your body you can feel it, you can taste it on your tip of your tongue. You can, earn, you can yearn for it, you can desire for it. And church, we need to be praying as an extended leadership team. We need to be a people stepping into lead, saying, "I will lead and ask for God to deliver His fruit to the church that he wants to grow." Magnifying Christ means fruitful labor, not just labor, but fruitful labor. The next thing that Paul says, the second point of point number three, that magnifying Christ is magnifying life. He says, magnifying Christ is essential. Verse 24 of Philippians 1 says, to remain is more necessary on your account. I love that he's just coming plain, plain and Jane on this thing. He's like, if I'm going to, I would really love to go be with Jesus. If I'm going to stay, it's because of you. So you better listen to what I say and do what I'm going to tell you to do because I'm sticking around because of you. I'm not going to throw in the towel. I'm not going to, to lacklustily present my case before the Roman government and, and so that they, that, they, that they throw me in jail some more and then they end up sending me to be with Christ. No, I am going to remain because it is necessary. It is essential on your account. If Paul were to leave, he would benefit, but they would suffer. And sometimes we can think our service to one another, church, is optional. I'll do it when I feel good. But church, like Paul, we need to look at the body of believers around us and say, if I'm not there, if I'm not serving that fruitful labor of Christ, if I'm not magnifying Christ in their midst, then they will suffer without me. We're challenged by that. We, we said it a number of weeks back, or maybe at the Looking in Lunch, if you were here, we, we, you know, we said what's been said a number of times before, that would the city notice if Oceanside Church didn't exist anymore? I'm challenged by that because most of the time when people ask me what they do and I tell them what church I'm from, they don't know anything about it. So I think there's a lot of people in the city who wouldn't notice. I think the city would, would notice, a, and again, another body of believers um, that aren't being spurred on in Christ. But that's a challenging thought for us. But it's also a challenging thought if we belong to this church as well. Church, would the body of believers notice if you no longer came? Magnifying Christ means fruitful labor. And magnifying Christ is essentially necessary for the benefit of other people, as Paul is saying. So church, what are we putting our hand to? I can say there's an amazing, amazing, amazing group of people who are serving our kids right now. They're not here, they're not listening to this. Well, some of them are here, some of them are sitting down, I can see them. But there is an amazing group of, of, of mums and dads and other people who don't have kids, or grandma and grandma or something, grandma and grandpa, getting confused this morning. Um, there is an amazing group of people serving in our kids' ministry. But church, our challenge here this morning is that our kids' ministry has come back just like it was pre-COVID. And we've got about half the people necessary to minister, to effectively minister to our children. Church, we need to step up, not because it's optional, but because it's essential. Would you agree that it's essential for this church to magnify Christ to the next generation? Would you say that? Would you say it's the very life and death of Oceanside Church to magnify Christ in the next generation? I would say so. The reason why I am standing up here this morning is because someone took the time. Both people who had kids and people who didn't have kids took the time with me to magnify Christ in my life. Along with my parents, but much of the majority, I think, was belonging to them as well. They took me aside, they discipled me, they had dinner with me when I was 16, they shepherded me along. Church, it is essential. And we need to double our 180 team. We need teachers, we need helpers, we need young adults who are really good with computers that can help with the digital check-in system we need greeters if you're older in the church and we, we heard a part of part of that thing hearing this week was some of the older generation don't know maybe where they fit in the church now that now that uh, you know some a younger generation is coming through to to lead the church guys i want to say if you're if you're an older retired person here we need you on mission for for oceanside church because it is essential without you we fail And we can use you. It is essential. It's not optional. Come and ask. And we want to do a better job at involving and spreading the load and and creating vision and hope around these different things. But parents as well, you need to step up. You need to put up your hands to say, get me involved. Even if you're a dad and and it scares you the most of anything to stand up in front of a group of five to sevens. It would scare you no matter what. We've got positions for you. We've got security where you just need to look angry and make sure, sure no one takes any children. Some of you are really good at that. <laughs> and church, our hope is in, in the coming season, again, it's not that you have to teach. Maybe one day you'll get excited and you'll, you'll want to teach and you'll want to facilitate a group of young kids. But we have a group of awesome families leading our kids ministry right now who are brand new to the church since covid who actually came in after the doors opened and said, hey, I'm bringing my kids, so where can I serve? And now they serve and they serve and they serve and they serve. But the existing congregation have got really good at dropping off the kids. I drop off my kids. I don't go there. I'm challenged, should I be in there as well? Helping, making it work. Church, there is a fruitful harvest within our 180 kids. Would you agree? I would agree that that's gonna happen, but it takes the essential work magnifying Christ is essential. It's more necessary for me to do that on your account. It benefits you greater maybe if you sit here in the meeting and someone else takes care of your kids, but it benefits them more. It's more necessary on their account. Church, the third thing that Paul brings up in this section is that magnifying Christ sees progress in the faith. He says in verse 25, I will remain and continue with you all for your progress. Church, I want to say if we go to work magnifying Christ with one another, then we will see progress as a church. Now what, what that is exactly is up to God's definition of progress. God will direct us. God will send us. God will shift things around. Things will look odd and things will look different ways maybe as he comes through and gives us the vision through the, through the leadership team. But if we magnify Christ to one another, if we get down to the essential work, then we will see progress in the faith. Like Paul was sure, if I come back to you, it will be for your progress. Church, that's why we stand up here before you. That's why the eldership team serves you as a church. We wouldn't serve you as a church if we didn't think we were gonna see progress for the name of Jesus in this town, right? We would join another church. We would go elsewhere, But we have faith that if we put our hands to the plow, that we will see Christ Jesus advance his gospel in Nanaimo. That we will see the name of Jesus be glorified in your lives. That we will see marriages healed, people set free from demonic oppression, and life upon life, the life that very belongs to Jesus, will be exclaimed in this house of worship. We, if we agree to magnify Christ... If we agree to live as Christ, then we will see progress in the faith. 1 Corinthians 15 from verse 57 says this, But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, be immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. Church, when you put your faith in Jesus, when you say he's given me enough to bless the next person or the next generation or to invite that person around, we know that when we do it and when we do it in a fruitful way, asking God to create the fruit, that our labor will not be in vain, church. What that means to me to say that labor will not be in vain is that there is a spiritual inheritance when you put your hand to the plow that you don't even know about yet. Because for the very people listening to these verses, the very first listeners to this, the Corinthian church, your labor will not be in vain. And the person writing it, Paul, your labor will not be in vain. In the natural, it very much was in vain. Because they were martyred, they were killed, they were brutalized for being Christians in those days. Perhaps 10 years after this, Nero is going is, is to kill the apostle Paul and he's going to come for the rest of the Christian faith. But here the truth is, abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain, and we stand as the very testament that their labor was not in vain, because we are here today. Why is there even a church today, despite all the oppression that came to the early church? Because their labor wasn't in vain, because they were doing it by the power of God. Church, if we put our hands to the spiritual work that is before us, our labor will not be in vain. Can I say it one more time? Our labor will not be in vain. That The church that closed down, speaking to the pastor this week, we meet as, we meet as pastors in Nanaimo and uh, every once a month on a Wednesday afternoon. It's amazing. We pray for one another. And that was the thing shared. And I just want to encourage you like if you're if you're from that church or if you know people from that church, that church's labor was not in vain. What we see in the natural as a failure, and we hoped and expected that it would go. No, I, don't, I don't know this church. I, you know, if that happened at this church, we, we, I would be in tears, church, if that happened here. And in the natural, it would look like that our labor was in vain. But the, in the spiritual, that that church is more than its current circumstance. That church was the year previous, the year previous, the hundreds and hundreds of people that had gone through that church, been blessed, been converted, been spurred on. It will only be in the next life where the pastors of those church realize how their labor was not in vain. It would be very easy to see our dire circumstance to say, God, deliver me from this current circumstance, because only if I get this certain way that I would say that my labor is not in vain. But our labor is not in vain, not because of what happens in this life, but because of what we inherit into the next life. And that's abundantly true with our youth worker team. It's abundantly true with our kids team as well. They don't always see the fruit. They don't always see the harvest that comes 15 years later when when people come back to God or realize or start leading these other things. And church, there is work to be done, and it's not the work of Andy. It's not the work of the elders. It's not the work of the team leaders. It is the work of the Lord that we might see progress, that we might see harvest. Feeling heavy? Good. Because Paul's about to say something else, just in case. He didn't didn't add it. But he said in verse 25, he adds on to that, saying that I will remain and continue with you for your progress. And then he says, and... I will continue with you for your progress and joy in the faith. Church, if we're not the happiest church in town, there's something wrong. Tell our kids ministry, if kids aren't getting cavities after 180, we're not handing out enough candy. (laughs) The dentists in Nanaimo should be rejoicing about one Oceanside Church. Kids should be so happy to come to church. I'm kidding, but I'm also not kidding. So you may have some strong words with me after the after the service. Everybody remember that granddad who used to be at church growing up who handed out candy. I remember that granddad growing up. Fortunately, we can't do that anymore, really. But um, yes, um, there needs to be joy in the house of the church, Lord. Lord, Lord Church. Don't forget joy. Service to to others without joy isn't from the Lord. Even Jesus, before he went to the cross, what does it say? It says, for the joy set before him endured the cross. Even the cross itself had a measure of joy to it. Even the disciples sacrificing their lives, even the disciples, you know, letting the dead bury themselves, they had a measure of joy. They had joy in going, magnifying is fruitful labor, it's essential, it's for progress in the faith, but it's also for joy. Again, when we magnify Christ in our church, we will be magnifying life. And I think that that, that phrase to magnify life means that there is going to be joy in the house of the Lord. Yeah. And it's one of the things that I've been feeling tremendously in this season as we come out is that we should be known for our joy. And that's hard for me to do because I'm not someone who usually exemplifies joy. And we can be joyful laborers because of the fruit that we know Jesus will bring in our midst. We can magnify Christ to one another and we see the fruit which brings joy after joy after joy. When we hear the testimonies about what God is doing in our midst, it's suddenly joyful to lead you. When we hear the success stories, the new faces, the people, the marriages being healed, then it is joyful for us to, to labor in this. And the last point as we, as we finish up, and maybe the band can come back before we, we share in communion uh, for one another, is point five is magnifying Christ causes others to glory in Christ. And this is the point of everything. Paul ends it here. He says, You know, but to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and join the faith so that in me you you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus. Church, the point of you trying to magnify Christ to those around you is so that they have a greater appreciation for Christ's glory. The reason why you should invite that person you've been thinking about to Thanksgiving dinner and enter them in is because, yes, you want to connect them into community, but you want them to share in what it means to be in the glory of God. In everything we do, it needs to cause glory in those around us. We can easily see that with our worship team, right? They cause us to glory in God. They, they rehearse hard on a Tuesday night. Then they come the earliest people here, apart from the chairs team. Uh, you're glorious as well. Um, but, uh, you know, it's easy to see on a team like this how they spur on the glory to the rest of the church. And they work hard and are diligent, and we are blessed by having a worship team. But whatever thing you put your hand to, church, you are causing glory to those around you. You are causing the glory of God to be realized in the believers around you. In the NIV, verse 26, so that your boasting in Christ will abound. We are to cause the boasting in Christ. So we need our 180 kids to be glorious. We need our chairs team to be glorious. We need our worship team, our preaching team, our coffee team, our connect group team, our admin team, and even the empty and the trash team. They bring the glory of God to the church because without their essential work, we suddenly miss what it is. 1 Corinthians 10:31 reminds us it says so whatever you eat or drink or whatever you even do do all for the glory of God. And then later on in that section it says I do not seek my own I do not seeking my own advantage but that of many that they may be saved. Church we need to know that magnifying Christ is fruitful labor that it's essential, that it sees progress, that it realizes joy, and it causes the glory of God to come in our city. We said sort of the first week after the transition is, what, how will we know the success, met, the success metric of Oceanside Church in years to come? Is Jesus's name being glorified in this house and the rest of the houses in Nanaimo more than it was before? Are we advances? Are we shouting louder? Are we living more fruitful lives? Are we glorifying God more and more? Magnifying Christ causes others to glorify God. And as we land this and before we reflect and invite Wes up to, to share the um, communion with us, Again, coming back to that thing of, of Paul's deliverance, he, again, at the beginning he says, yes, I will rejoice for I know that through your prayers and the help of the Holy Spirit Christ, of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance. <laughs> again, I don't know what situation you're in or what you feel held captive to. Maybe there's something that you just, it, you feel captive to. That's been sort of the theme for the last couple of weeks. Again, worldly deliverance says that, you know, deliverance has to come in, in wealth. It has to come in health. It has to come in youthfulness or success or a big house or something like that. Paul's deliverance was Christ to me and Christ to others. That is my deliverance. I will know that God has delivered me when Christ is magnified in those around me or I go get to be with him and see him magnified in the, next, in the next life. Don't let current circumstances hold you captive because God wants to turn everything to the magnification of his son. And in 2 Timothy 4, 6 to 8, again, the same writer writing to a different person. The Apostle Paul, again, probably the last letter we get before um, he's martyred for the faith, probably sensing, sensing the end is coming soon for him, he says, For I am already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure has come. And he probably remembers the words he says that to live is Christ and to die is gain. Finally, his time of departure has to come. And I think it's so beautiful to see the language he uses, for I am already being poured out as a drink offering. Lord, it's our our prayer this morning, Lord Jesus, for those stepping up, that our lives would be poured out for you, Father. Again, that we wouldn't just be doing the task because we've been asked to do it or doing it because it's a good idea or someone needs to take care of the kids. So yeah, I should do that because I feel guilty. No, we offer up our lives poured out as a drink offering for you and those around us, Lord God. Lord God, just minister to us, Lord God. You're calling a number of us here this morning to just enter into more of a sacrificial life, of pouring ourselves out. Hearing the call of leadership and saying, I wanna step up, I wanna be poured out. I wanna see the fruit come after the labor. Thank you, Lord, for what, we, what you're doing. We're gonna share in communion and I'm gonna invite Wes up today. Again, we we sort of doing communion today, not because it's Thanksgiving weekend, but just of this thing that we need to remember the Lord Jesus who poured himself out for us before we go into the task of pouring ourselves out for one another. Amen? If we do it for any other reason for that he did it for us first, we're doing it for wrong reasons. So Wes, why don't you come up here? Thank you, church.